Today's scripture is taken from John 8, 12 and 12, 35 through 36. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, we move on to our next metaphor, which is that of light and darkness. And I'm reminded of a a story that my friend told me. This actually happened to him. He was scuba diving at night in somewhere around Central uh, America. I can't remember exactly where it was. And he had never gone scuba diving at night. Maybe some of you have. It sounds terrifying to me. Uh, And it happened to be a night where there was hardly any moonlight. So it was especially dark. So what's the first thing you would do uh, if you were going to do this? You you would do what he did, which is he went to make sure the light that he rented, because you have lights with you, had new batteries. And he he was very adamant about making sure that the battery was brand new. And, And the person in the shop, the dive shop, assured him that this was, this was in fact true. It was a brand new battery. So they go out and they're going down and he said it was some of the most glorious 15 minutes that he ever experienced with this light. And of course, he has a buddy partner diving with him. And you got to remember, everything else is pitch black. So the only thing you can see is the ray of light that you're controlling in your hand. And what happened was, as he was going, uh, the light flickered and his heart rate increased And I mean, this sounds like a movie, but he assured me it's true, okay? So the light flickers, and uh, then it goes out. And then it comes back on, and he sees in front of him the snout of a shark. And uh, I, yes, so he takes a deep breath, just like you and I would. And then, of course, he he raises then about five to ten feet, and then the light completely goes out. So now he has no idea what's going on. He's in this pitch black and he looks around and he can see all of these lights because no one else has any idea what's going on. But he can see other people's lights. And so he, he knows he's got to get to the top, but he feels the responsibility. He needs to tell his diving partner what's going on. So now he sees these uh, nine other divers and he has to swim up to them. Imagine this in the pitch dark and grab onto them and make them look him in the, in the eye so he can see who it is, see if it's his diving partner. So he goes and, you know, the first few are not them. And of course, they're terrified because someone grabs them in the pitch black. Uh, and he finally finds his diving partner and he does this. And, and they go to the top and he explains what, what happened. Now, uh, he told me that uh, this now that he, he has experienced this, every time he reads anything in the scriptures, the metaphor of light and darkness, he can't help but think about that, about that experience. And now, of course, now that I've heard the story, I can't either. So if you imagine in that moment how visceral the image of being in the dark and having light, how protective light is, how informative light is, how important light is, especially when you're surrounded by darkness. And if you think about any metaphor, light and darkness would have to be one of the most visceral ones of them. Like, for example, uh, the story that I just told, you can, you can put yourself there without much effort, even though that's never happened to you. Or if I just tell you, imagine watching at the beach, the sun come up, and as soon as it comes up, it might pierce your eyes, and you can almost imagine what that would feel like, and you flinch. 
So it's a very visceral metaphor. For us, when we think about light in this way, we all need the benefits that true light brings to us. I mean, there are areas in your life that you're confused by and distressed by, and you can say those areas are dark. They're dark to you. There are things in your life that are hidden to you, but others see it and it's hurting them. And therefore it's hurting you. But what you need in that place is light. And there are some of you who have felt like you've experienced piercing light and you only have pain in those areas, those dark areas of your life. But in fact, true light, real light, doesn't only bring the piercing brightness of light and the revelatory power of light. There was darkness, I couldn't see, now I can see. But it also brings with it warmth and heat. And when the Bible talks about light, as it's connected to who God is, as God as light, it wants us to understand both of those things. It wants us to understand light and it wants us to understand heat. And so in our short passage today, I'm mainly going to be focusing on verse 12 from John chapter 8. And I want us to see three things in this short verse, in this metaphor. One, we're going to see that this metaphor is very concrete. There's a concreteness to the metaphor of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. There's also a claim in the metaphor. Jesus makes a claim that we need to recognize. And there's also a call in the metaphor. So there's something very concrete. There's a claim that Jesus is making by the metaphor. And then there's a call, a very obvious call. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So first, let's, let's explore the concreteness of the metaphor. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if you just zoom out and understand the light, light brings life, doesn't it? If you think about the sun and light in our world, true light, every living being, every living organism is possible at some level because of the light. And we couldn't live without light because of its warmth, but also because of all of the ways it produces life. You think about trees and photosynthesis and then oxygen and then we breathe it and then food and so on. At every level, light brings life, but light also brings joy. And if we ask some of my friends back where I'm from in Indiana in the Midwest, they will tell you light brings joy because they haven't experienced light in quite some time. It's been gray. It's been cloudy. And that's why people in the far, far north, I don't know how they live, right? How do they live in these months? They just get used to living in negative 30 degree weather and, uh, and no sun. I could live in cold, but I would need the sun. We understand what it's like when we walk out of an office building with no windows all day and false light, fluorescent lighting and walk out and what it feels like on your skin and the joy that it brings. We also know light reveals reality. It makes things that were unknown, known. So for example, if your child wakes up in the middle of the night, kids, if you wake up in the middle of the night and and it's dark and you're frightened and you call for your mom and dad, what do we do? What's the first thing we do when we come in that room? We flip on the light, don't we? We flip on the light and we help them see what they thought they were seeing wasn't real. It brings reality. We flip on the light and it chases away darkness. And so there's a revelatory power to light that we understand. It's very concrete in this way. Even we use the phrase to shine light on something. 
What do we mean except to say that there's something fishy going on here and because there's some level of darkness and protection, we can't access it. So someone somehow needs to shine light into that thing. So we understand the concreteness of the metaphor of light and darkness. And this metaphor is is all over the place in the scriptures. For example, in the Old Testament, Psalm 27.1, the Israelites were trained to sing, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then the law of God is a light to the path of those who cherish his instruction to them. And then, of course, uh, Isaiah, Christmas time we read this, says that the servant of the Lord will bring light to all nations, to everyone. It will be so bright that everyone will see the light, not just Israel. And maybe most important for our passage today is the glory of the very presence of God in the wandering in the wilderness. You remember what happened when God was leading his people through the wilderness. There was a cloud that led them by day, a pillar of cloud. But what happened to that cloud at night so that they could still see? Well, it lit up like fire. Because when God is present, there is light. And that's very important for our passage today. It's very significant. And so we understand the concreteness of the metaphor. So now we can explore the claim of the metaphor that Jesus is giving us. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. The very first word says, again, Jesus spoke to them. If you were with us two weeks ago, I preached a sermon where Jesus said that I, uh, I, have, the, uh, I have the water. I have, what did he say? Someone help me. Thank you, living water. Great, preacher boy. Okay, so Jesus said, I have living water. And I told us, If you remember, this was in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the most popular feast probably at this point for the Jews. And they were celebrating, commemorating God's provision for them in the wilderness, in the desert. So we said there are three things that they needed in the desert provided for them because they didn't have. One was shelter. And so it was called the Feast of Tabernacles because during this week, they would set up tents basically to live in to remind them of how God provided for them in the wilderness. And then also you need water in the desert. There's no water there. And so uh, Moses struck a rock at God's command and that rock poured forth water. And in our passage two weeks ago, Jesus said, I am that water. I am the water that God provides for you, living waters. Okay, and they will overflow in you. But there was actually one more thing that happened in the wilderness. God offered his very presence in that cloud. God offered guidance in that cloud. God offered light in that cloud. And so when when Jesus says again, we're actually still at the Feast of Tabernacles. So remember when Jesus stood up and cried out, I am living water? Later on, either later the seventh day or possibly the eighth day, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. And I want to tell you briefly what was happening and why this would have been so stunning to them when, when he said this. There was, a, there was a ritual. We talked two weeks ago about the pouring of the water ritual, but there was also a ritual where every night they would light this huge, basically candle. I sort of imagine it in this, in this cylinder with holes where light could come out, almost like these bonfires in this thing. It was huge. Okay, and they would light this fire every night because remember what they're commemorating at this festival is God's provision for them in the desert wanderings, which what was there? the cloud. And at night, what did it do? It lit up. And so what they were doing was they were looking forward to the time when God's presence would come back to Israel. Because remember, it had disappeared, right? The presence of God had fled because of their sin when they were in exile. And even though they rebuilt the temple, it never came back. 
and they're waiting for this. And so when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles every year, they're waiting and saying God's presence will come back. Now go with me for a second. Imagine it's the eighth day. The festival was seven days. On the eighth day, they spent all day tearing down all of their tents and packing up to go home. Sad day, right? It's like when you take down your Christmas tree. It's a sad day. Well, imagine this. Let's say the candle abra, the, the big bonfire holding thing was not producing light because it was over. And so imagine every time you walk by, you see it and you're reminded of the fact that God's presence hasn't come back yet. Not yet. It's kind of cool. Whereas the night before, it shone so brightly that people could see it maybe from miles and it lit up a lot of the city. It's in that moment, as people are experiencing the sadness, wanting for God to come back and bring his presence and his light, Jesus stands up right by this thing. If you read the whole passage, he's right by this thing. And again, he says, I am the light of the world. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know how you're waiting for the presence of God to come back and descend upon you? Here it is. I am the presence of God. Now this is stunning, which is why in verse 20, John feels like he has to say, and they didn't arrest him. Why would he even need to put that in there? Because this was a big deal. And in fact, in the Pentateuch, in the law, if someone says this and it's not true, you should kill them. That's the law. And so, of course, he says this and John feels compelled to say, yes, we know it was a big deal. And let me tell you why he wasn't arrested because it wasn't his time yet. That's what John says. And so Jesus makes this huge claim in this metaphor. He's saying, I am the presence of God. All right, so Jesus, though, won't let this remain vague and abstract or open to interpretation. There's actually a very specific call to this metaphor. You see, in this context, people are thinking of the very presence of God in the wilderness, the light that leads the people to the promised land. And in the Gospels, a few chapters later, if you go over to Luke, for example, there's a time when Jesus is on a mountaintop and he has three of his disciples with him. And all of a sudden, light starts to shine out of him because the glory that his human nature is is concealing in this moment can't hold the divinity in him, his, his Godhead. You understand this? And so what happens if you read this is that this cloud descends over that mountaintop. That should remind you of Moses, right? That should remind you of when the presence of God came down and Moses was given the 10 commandments, right? When did that happen? In the desert wanderings, right? In the Exodus. So it's all coming together we can't get away from the fact of what Jesus is claiming. And then what does is, what is the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved son. Right? And then the cloud goes away. They think they're going to die. And they look and they, what do they see? They see Jesus' face. And so I was in a conversation recently with a friend. And uh, this friend is, is not, a, not a Christian. And we were talking at some length. I really love this dear friend. And he was telling me that he was exploring Christianity and and we were talking about that. And he said, here's the thing though. He's like, I don't understand why Jesus, uh, why Christians believe that Jesus is God. He never said that he was God. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? That he never claimed to be God. And he said, well, I've read the whole New Testament. I don't ever see a verse where Jesus says, hey, I am God. 
And this is actually, you, you, some of you, I can see you're like your furrowed brows. This is a very common belief among people that because every other religious teacher, no one ever said they were God. They say, I can point you to God. They didn't say, I'm the way, believe in me. They said, I've reached this certain um, pinnacle. I've connected into the divine. Maybe that's in me or around me. And so if you follow me, then in that way, I can point you to God. But no, Jesus is saying something else. I am God. And when you, we understand the context of where Jesus said he was the light of the world, what was happening around him, how it was connected to the story of Israel, we understand this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am God. I am God. Follow me. And that does take us to this third observation, right? We, we see that there's a concreteness to the metaphor of light. When light pierces our eyes, we flinch. We understand what it would be like to be in that water with no light, just wanting light to be able to see. We understand what it's like to walk out of, out, of a, out of a cold room with no windows and experience the warmth of light on your skin and the comfort that it can bring. We understand the concreteness. We understand now that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, I'm not just going to take you to go find it. I am it. Now follow me just like you followed the cloud at night that lit up. And so there is a call. That's my third observation. The call of the metaphor. Concreteness, the claim, and now the call. And Jesus says it right here. He doesn't just end there. I'm the light of the world. Figure out what I mean. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not merely a spiritual teacher. I'm not merely offering you a philosophy of life. I am commanding your whole life be given to me. I'm commanding that you turn from the own sovereignty of your own life and you follow me now. And that's very comforting or it's very frustrating. Which one is it for you? Do you find that as hope and life in the words of Jesus or do you find it as drudgery. And that's going to tell you, it's kind of like a checkup on where your heart is right now, whoever you are. Do you see that as good news that you want? Or do you see that as bad news that makes you want to run away? So Jesus is inviting you to come to the good news and follow him because he is the light of the world. He's asking you to turn from all other sources of light to him. And there are other light in the world, right? There, there are things, there are other places where there's truth, where there's goodness and there's beauty because God has not left us without a witness. God continues to have the sun rise on the just and the unjust. He continues to provide for all living creatures, Psalm 145 says. And, and this is something that we all deep down know. That's what Paul tells us in the beginning of his epistle to the Romans. But here's the difference between Jesus as the light and those other things of light, good, true things that are light, is that all of those other things are like the moon and Jesus is like the sun. You see, Jesus is the source of light and life. God is the source of light and life. And there are other things that reflect his goodness and his beauty and his truth, kind of like the moon does. The moon is designed to reflect light. And so it's true that you see light in other places, but it's not the source of light. So you don't follow those things. You don't give your life to those things. 
Let's go back to thinking about those people right now who are experiencing nearly 24 hours of darkness. This is actually a thing. And people still live there. And imagine what it would be like to have that hour or two at the most of daylight when it looks like dusk, but never gets any brighter than that. And imagine that there is a bright full moon and a cloudless night. I would bet if it had been months since you had seen the sun that you would think, wow, this is pretty bright outside. Like I can actually find my way around. I can see things. And you may come to think, no, I mean, I guess I could live like this, right? Two or three months, I can do everything I need to do. It's so bright, it reflects off the snow. I can, it's pretty bright. And you may think that until the sun fully comes up for the first time and that moon disappears, doesn't it? Because in contrast, the light from the moon is nothing when it's overwhelmed by the source, which is the sun. And that's what Jesus is inviting all of us to do. He's saying, come, you can have the source of light and life. And yes, you can still enjoy those things that reflect my life and light, but now you can enjoy them more because you understand what they are. I've now given you eyes to see those things. And I want to speak especially right now to Christians, people here who say you are followers of Jesus. When Jesus invites us to follow his light, this is a call for us to live with wholeness of life. Integrity of life, where what happens in the dark is the same as what happens in the light. Where our inside desires, as much as possible, as much as we know them, match our outside life. And our inside desires will come more and more in line with the life and light that God offers. And so I know that the symbolism of light as being revelatory, as giving us knowledge, also implies that when you and I walk in the light, First John says, and here John gets this from Jesus who says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So if you're not walking in darkness, you're walking in light, right? And when we walk in the light, we know that our lives will be known. They'll be known by God, but they'll also be known by those around us. We know that when we walk in the light, we will not keep hidden sins or falsehoods or deception. And walking in the light results then in deep divine and human fellowship. I mean, think about that. If you have a spouse or a roommate, think of all the work it takes to keep something that you're ashamed of hidden. Think about that. The people who are closest to you, but what about when you bring it into the light and you're open and honest and vulnerable with it? What happens? Your relationship becomes that much more intimate. And it's the same with God. God knows, God knows the darkness in your life. And he's calling you to bring it to the light as you are walking in the light and following him. And this is a progressive thing. The light gets brighter and brighter as we follow Jesus over time. Maybe not every day gets brighter and brighter, but over a lifetime, over a five-year period, over a six-month period, light always wins. And that's actually very comforting. Right? Because some of the things we are doing in the dark and some of these things we're hiding from those who are closest to us. We don't want them to see them. Sometimes we even hide things from ourselves and that takes a lot of work to figure out what those are. But what Jesus is saying is that the darkness is temporary. Someday the light will come up. The light will come up and reveal all things in purity. And we know this, right? Because oftentimes it comes up in our lives now. 
Think about the trajectory of history. The Bible teaches us that the trajectory of history is that everything will be revealed. And it's even happening some now. Think about what's happening in our culture right now with darkness being revealed. Our sin will find us out. I had a friend, uh, an older pastor friend of mine who, who told, told me the story one time about how his sin has always found him out. And kids, this might be especially uh, helpful for you, uh, although it's helpful for me. One day, somewhere outside of the neighborhood, when he was about eight years old, he found a big bag of popcorn. And he knew his parents wouldn't allow him to keep that bag of popcorn. So he snuck it into the house and he put it under his bed. And every night for, for him, he said it seemed like a long time, he would reach under his bed and grab a handful of popcorn and eat it as he was falling asleep. And he would do this for a while and no one ever found out. And he thought that he had snuck it past his parents. And he had. Until one night after he did it, a few moments later, he felt like things were crawling on his neck and like things were crawling on his hand up his arm. And he tried to brush them off but he knew it was real. So he jumps out of bed, turns on the light and there are ants all over his body because ants had gotten into the butter in that popcorn and they had infested that that popcorn, right? And he said, Damien, your sin will always find you out. (laughs) Amen, amen to that. And so of course, that's that's a real, very concrete example But how many things like that do we have in our life? Have you ever had someone else have to be ashamed and bring something into the light? And when they do, your heart starts to pick up because you know you too. You ever thought about that? Has that ever happened to you? It could be small things and it could be large things and it could be anything in between. But Jesus is inviting us, come to the light because it's not just, it's not just exposing, it's comforting. You've been in the dark. Come, let me warm you with the warmth of my light, the warmth of the light of life. Let me warm you and expose you in the best way possible because my light is healing light. And you notice that this is healing light because Jesus doesn't just say, come to me and you'll see the light of life. That's what they had in the desert, right? They saw the light of life. But Jesus says, come to me. What does he say? Look with me, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It will be yours. It will be in you. It will transform you from the inside out. You will have the light of life. And how is this possible? How is it possible that you and I who have dark areas in our life, that God's patient with us, that we don't just get consumed in our sin? Why is that? How is that possible? Well, Jesus says that There's a point when the light will no longer be with them in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light. What What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the light, follow me while you have the light. He's saying there will be a moment when that light, me, when I'm snuffed out and you won't see it. That will happen. The light will be snuffed out, but not forever. You see, Jesus, on the cross, the whole earth goes dark. The whole sky goes dark. Why? Because the light of life had been snuffed out for us. And then you and I, we get to take all the darkness that we had, and and that was on Jesus. 
And God poured out his wrath on him so that all of his light that would be snuffed out could be given to us. Do you see that? That's what Jesus is inviting you to. So when you come to the light out of the darkness, he's already taken that darkness upon himself. And he wants to increasingly over time give you the light of life. You will have the light of life. And remember one more time with me, the glory cloud in the wilderness. Remember when the cloud came down on the mountain and God's presence was there and God said, don't touch the mountain or you'll die. You remember that? What was, what was the cloud doing for Moses in this instance? It was mediating the presence of God. You see, you and I, if we stared directly into the light, it would blind you. If you and I experienced the sun in its purity, it would incinerate us. God's light is so pure that the same thing would happen. But Jesus is our mediator. Jesus protects us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus died for us. And in Jesus We don't just get to see the glory. We get to go all the way in and experience the very presence and joy of God. If we think the presence of the sun on our skin is amazing, the very presence of God in Jesus Christ is much more. And that's our hope. That's the concreteness of what Jesus is inviting us to. That's possible in him. And you and I can follow him in that light. Even now, even today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you grateful for all that you've done for us. You've provided for us so richly. And Jesus, we come to you, the light of life, who took our darkness and you were snuffed out so that we could receive that light that you gave freely. And we ask now that you would show us those areas in our life where you're inviting us gently but surely to bring things into the light that you would see them, that we would admit them, that others would see them, and that we would submit them to you and receive your forgiveness. Help us feel your warmth now as we respond in song and in a moment go to the table. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.